this morning is Valentine's Day. Any uh, whoops by dads or uh, husbands or any of that? No? Okay. Um, <laughs> Jason just gets up and walks out. Um, he's like, I'm done. It's, it's over. Um, while it is Valentine's Day, um, you did not come to a, a chick flick uh, sermon this morning. It's kind of the opposite. We're going gladiator. So um, I just want to throw out that I do know it's Valentine's Day. Um, but, but God's word is instructing us this morning in the ways of Gladiator and not uh, Chocolat or some other movie that I haven't seen. Um, on your notes this morning, go ahead and pull your, your sermon notes out. And um, kind of at the top of the line there, I have a, um, a little statement that a guy by the name of Les Christie uh, used to tell us in youth ministry. And it, it went like this. It said, what you win them with is what you win them to. And what that meant was this. It's not that hard, really, to get a crowd together. And especially for youth. You put relatively bad you know, pizza, but it's free, and it's all you can eat, and then you get you know, some soda together, and you do something fun. Um, that's, that gathers a crowd, and that's really, really fun. And I believe that all of that has a part in youth ministry. However, if what you win them to is party, fun, pizza, little, uh, you know, little floaty, feel-good uh, talks that just say believe in yourself and, and try harder and we're here to help, um, then what happens is there's kind of a bait-and-switch that happens. And teens are some of the most astute people on the planet to figure out if you're pulling their leg or not. And so if you kind of win them with pizza and fun and parties and games, and all of a sudden you try to slip in the gospel and say, by the way, I'm selling you something. You know what? It feels like that to them. And they'll pick up that a mile away and they'll say, man, I'm out of here. Forget that. So what you win them with is what you win them to. If you win them with party, fun, all that kind of stuff, what you win them to potentially is just a big party. The second you try to take that a different direction, it just feels bad to them. It feels bad all around. And there's kind of this, this, like I said, bait and switch sort of a deal. Um, I think the same thing that happens sometimes when 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 we go to share Christ. And I hope you're stumbling and fumbling and bumbling along in sharing the gospel. I hope this week you've had issues in trying to communicate this hope that you have. You know why? It means you're trying. It means you're out there and you're, and you're trying. I've taught tons of people to snowboard, and the worst message I could get at the end of the day from someone is to say, look, my clothes are completely dry. I haven't fallen once. Then I just write a giant F on the teacher, me, and I say, come on, we're going somewhere. And we go up to the Black Diamond, and, and we're going to get you all snowy. Because that means you're trying and you're pushing a little bit. I hope you come back to church once in a while and go, man, I've got to figure out how to share my hope that's within me. Because I know it's true. I know it's real. I know God's doing amazing things all around me. It's just hard to get out sometimes. Well, in our communicating the gospel, in our sharing the gospel, sometimes I think we, we win them to something that isn't even real. It's kind of, unbe- it's kind of like unknowingly. We don't, we don't do it necessarily on purpose, but it happens. Here's the good news. The good news is that the gospel says, the Bible teaches that you really do get a brand new family when you come to God's, to, to, to God's family. And he welcomes you in. He adopts you in as his very own son, as his very own daughter. And that's the great news. Here's the bad news, so to speak. The bad news is that family is at war. And by signing up with this family, you're going to get shot at. By signing up with this family, you're going, to be, you're going to be watching your back, and you're going to need to watch other people's backs. So it's kind of a good news, bad news thing. And again, I don't know that you, know, you, you just do full disclosure and you have a 90-minute presentation every time of the gospel. You don't need to just dump everything on them in the, in the first five minutes. 
Besides, 90 minutes and 5 minutes is really hard math. Um, but what I'm saying is this, is that as you share the gospel, as you witness, as you communicate your life, don't try to cover up the bad news. Don't try to cover up the hard parts of it. And this whole series is kind of lifting the lid on that a little bit. It's giving us freedom to say, this is demanding. This is really, really hard. And some weeks I feel super victorious and I just come in here super strong and God uses me to strengthen other people. And sometimes I barely drag myself spiritually in through those doors. And if I physically looked like how I did spiritually, I would be crawling my way to the very back pew, crawling up and just kind of sitting there like a lump. This is hard stuff that God calls us to. And that's just what we're trying to acknowledge with our sermon series this week. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down this. The first thing is this, that the Christian life is a battleground, it's not a playground. And that's what I'm getting at a little bit. I think if we just say it's a playground, hey, come to youth group. What do you do? We do lots of fun stuff. That may be true, and I think that's an okay answer, but it's incomplete, isn't it? I always say this. I always say, I remember my very first Sunday at Valley Church, 10 years ago, the church that birthed this church three years ago. Ten years ago, I show up, I'm the, I'm the brand new youth pastor, and there are a handful of kids that have kind of made the transition before the, between the guy before me and the guy that was here now, which was me. Um, we were talking in third person. Um, but I show up, and there were all these kind of harder-looking kids that were hanging around the, the, the youth building. And the youth building is kind of far away from the church, and no one knows it's part of the church. And back in the 70s, I met a strung-out guy one time that told me he used to play arcade games in there. And I was like, wow, oh, that's cool. But anyways, it's way off on the side of, of the property. There's all these kind of little bit harder kids. And I'm like, hey, I'm like, what do you guys like to do? And it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The youth group's that night. I think I've been on the job a couple days. And um, they're like, oh, we don't know. You know, uh, uh. Oh, like just, that's, all, that's all I got. So I'm like, uh, well, listen, we're going we're gonna to be playing roller hockey tonight at 6 o'clock. I said, do you guys want to come to that? And I'm like, oh, uh, you know, whatever. So all I knew was roller hockey at the time. So I'm like, I'm just going to do roller hockey. I didn't know if the new youth group liked roller hockey, knew what roller hockey was or whatever. But I called one of my leaders and I said, hey, we're doing roller hockey tonight. We show up at 6. There's about, there's about 8 or 9 kids there. And, um, and we start playing some roller hockey. And... The youth group at the time was maybe six kids. And so six parents drove up and dropped their kid off. And here's what their kid did. They made a beeline for the 500 building. And then they did this. They kind of peeked out the door like this. And they're looking like this. So six kids, get the picture, six kids are inside the building, right? It's getting crowded at the door. (laughs) It's a glass door. They're kind of peeking out. And the rest of them are out there. And here's what I said. I said, listen, guys. I said, we're going to play some roller hockey. I said, every Thursday night, we're going to be playing roller hockey and we're going to dive into God's words every Thursday. So right up front, they actually knew what was going on. And, and they said, okay, that, you know, that's cool. And, uh, and so we played some roller hockey. You know what happened that first night was this. I said, okay, we're done. It's time, you know, time, to, time to pack up the skates and head on inside. I said, hey, you guys want to you know, come in for the Bible study part? I mean, Jesus just stood at the door and knocked. So I didn't strong arm it, and they would have beat me up anyways. And, uh, and they said, uh, no, nah, that's all right. I said, okay, cool. So I went inside, and I'm kind of doing my little thing, and we're talking to the youth group kids, and who's at the door but about eight kids doing this? They're peeking in. And I thought, man, this is a total picture of the church and the struggle we have sometimes. you got the church inside peeking out at the world going, who are those guys? I heard an F-bomb. What was that? You know, I don't know what to do. I need to be in here. It's light in here. It's comfortable in here. 
But then you had the outside kids, and, and somehow they knew they shouldn't be smoking indoors, so they stayed outdoors, but they just kind of peered in, and they just kind of they were curious what was going on. So here's how I spoke that night. I spoke to a few kids here, and I kept, I kept engaging the ones back in the back door. Now, here's how that story plays out. None of them, to my knowledge, uh, came, came to receive Christ and came and joined our youth group and, and joined the church. But that first night, here's what I learned. I talked to some, some youth group kids later on. They said, man, we thought you brought your old youth group over or something. We didn't know who those kids were. I said, those kids are why we're here. That's it. That's the whole reason why we're here. And in telling them, I didn't say, come do roller hockey, come do pizza. And in six weeks, when I have your trust, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch the bomb on you. That, by the way, what we're really doing here is we're going to dive into the Bible and study God's Word. You know what would have happened in six weeks' time? They would have felt ripped off and a little bit cheated by the church. And I promise you, I wouldn't have seen those guys again. So as we share, we communicate, we pray for this. God, help me communicate in a winsome way, with a smile on my face, because I genuinely am joyful about this, but that this Christian life is a battleground. It's not a playground. Now, there's joy to it. Far more joy than a swing or the spinny things or any of that. But help me communicate. It's a battleground, not a playground. I need some people to read some scripture today. It's right in your, uh, it's right in your notes so you don't have to feel panicked about like Bible quiz. Get there quick. Um, but would someone stand up and read Ephesians 6.12? Just pop your hand up so I can see who that's going to be. It's the first thing on your notes right there. Stand up and read it for us. Thank you, Marianne. Go ahead. As we talked this morning, um, there's a lot of crazy talk going on, and I'm going to parallel this, so go with me. There's a lot of crazy talk going on in the adoption world. In foreign countries, many foreign adoption, uh, many foreigners look at Europeans, the Dutch and, and Americans and others who are coming in and adopting, and they have these wild stories in their head that we're going to come and sell their, their organs on the black market. It's a genuine fear. And usually it's, under, it's in more impoverished part of the countries because they've just been told that or they've heard that or whatever else. And there's a lot of crazy talk. And, and what happens, though, is sometimes word on the street becomes absolute fact. And so you kind of bump into this a little bit sometimes. And, and similarly, there's, there's, a, there's a certain sense in our culture that says that there is this really dangerous group of people. They're super psychotic and they need to be put away. And it's because they believe in God's word and they take it literally. They're called super fanatical Christians. I would say it's the normal Christian life to be a radical follower, disciple of Jesus. Give up everything to follow me. That's what Jesus calls us to, right? It's the normal Christian life, actually. But what, but what happens is there's a fear factor that goes on in this, this militant language. You listen to those Christians. There's a militant language, and they're trying to take things over, and this and that. And it's really skewed. It's a little bit like the adoption uh, liver on the black market concept. I want to I start this morning by saying this. We're going to go gladiator with this sermon, right? But I want to I just kind of paint a picture and make it really crystal clear for everyone who's in the building and might listen to this later to say, here is what we're talking about. When I say stand firm and we talk about war on Valentine's Day, what kind of psychotic person does that? We do because we're Christians and that's what goes on. But here's the militant language and here's how it applies. First of all is this. The enemies are spiritual, right? I mean, that's what we're looking at. The world, the flesh, the devil. Those are the things. This battle that's inside of me. That's what I'm trying to put to death. We talked about that a little while ago, a couple weeks ago. Putting off the old self, putting on the new self. That's a battle that's going to rage. 
The flesh, the spirit, they're in conflict with one another. They're at war with one another. The language couldn't be more clear. Put to death the old self. That's really gruesome and it's really violent. It sounds really militant. It might sound scary if you don't have the context. I need another reader. Who's going to read 2 Corinthians 10.4? Uh, Curran, stand up. It's in, your, it's in your bulletin, bud, the second one. Stand up and read that. Thanks, buddy. Our weapons are divine, right? So as I talk about this, uh, no one's going home and, you know, sharpening things and doing things like that, you know, practicing with their mace or whatever. You can do that, but that's not what we're talking about. Because those weapons are good for a certain kind of battle and a certain kind of enemy, right? It does nothing against an invisible enemy. And so, and so these weapons that we're talking about are totally different than physical weapons because we have a different objective than a physical enemy that we're trying to put down. I need one more reader that would read that third verse in the bulletin. Uh, go for it, Stephen. Revelation chapter 12. Listen to this. Okay, powerful scene that has been portrayed for us, just like the prophets of old that had something told to them and say, by the way, hundreds of years in the future, on this day, a man who's, who's, who's come and is the Messiah is going to be put to death as a sacrificial lamb, and that's going to, by, by his death, make a, a path for people to be right with God. That's what prophecy is all about. You, you ought to do your homework and, and know that you can stand on this book. It's been proven through the centuries. And so now another prophecy is being talked about, but it's that our time is the current time, and the future hasn't happened yet. But it's just as sure as the other ones. And this is a picture that's painted for us that says the victory is totally sure. It's, it's as good as done. It hasn't happened yet, but that's what's happening. That's the end of the story. So as we fight, as we think gladiator, as we think standing firm and this demanding lifestyle that we've been called to, I want you to remember who our enemies are, our weapons, and about our victory, knowing that it's sure. Now, Christians in this room who, who, uh, who like uh, Caitlin, who's here I know, and Ben, who's here, uh, last week stood up here and publicly declared, I choose to follow Jesus Christ for the rest of my days. And I will not turn back from that decision. You as a Christian who has, who has gone public and who has said, I am on God's team and I'm putting all of my eggs in the Jesus basket to save me. That's the only thing that will save me. You are now under attack from the enemy from that point on. Unquestionably. Did we talk about this in baptism class, guys? We, we, we said specifically, Monday, I want, I want those who got baptized last week to know, we prayed more fervently for the three that stood up and got baptized last week than any of the rest of you. So there. You know why? Because they just went up publicly. And, and wouldn't the enemy love to come and put a target on Ben's back? And for all those friends and family that may have witnessed, he just has a rotten week. Because he's gone, he's gone public with this. And Christians can just know this. We shake our heads and we say, yes, we do have a target on our back. We do have a target on our life. We know this from experience. 
Let me just say this, that Satan and his followers have a plan and have a strategy and are a powerful force. We already know that victory is sure. So I don't want you to freak out about that. Greater is he, what? Yeah, greater is the one that's in you than he who's in the world. Do we have to sit in here in fear today? Absolutely not. Are we to be aware of the devil's schemes? Yes. Let me just show you an example of this. I don't know if you caught this. We had a little Super Bowl party uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, whenever the Super Bowl was. And, um, and on came this commercial with Tim Tebow. Remember that one? So early in the Super Bowl, maybe the first quarter, Tim Tebow gets up with his mom, and there's this little, there's this little commercial. It's really cute. The two of them, you kind of see a neat relationship there. And it just says, celebrate life, celebrate family, or something along those lines. And people in the room that watched that were kind of looking at each other going, was this, was this the controversial one? In fact, I think we rewound it and watched it again. It's like, was this the big controversial one that was stirring up all this, all this trauma and problems? Some were calling this the most controversial commercial in Super Bowl history. By the way, these were being said by people who had never seen the spot yet. Okay? So, women's groups choice groups were attacking this thing, going after this thing. Now, as you know from, um, well, I won't even name anyone, but as you know from all kinds of people, um, kind of like any press is good press for people who are famous and trying to get a message out, right? Even if it's bad press. And what happened with this whole thing was, uh, unbeknownst to focus on the family who does not specialize in advertising campaigns, this thing blew up so massive that it got way more air coverage than it probably ever could have in the past. There's always more to the story, by the way. Go online. I, I just went, I went and watched this little spot about, about Tim Tebow's parents talking a little bit. Do you know that his dad is a missionary, was a missionary in, in the Philippines at the time? And he prayed, he prayed that God would give him a son named Tim, that he would name Tim. And he said, I'll, I'll train him to be a preacher. God, give me the son. He was, you know what he was doing at the time? Catch this. He was in a prayer time weeping for the unborn in America that were being killed every single day. Pouring out tears for people who were having abortions and never hearing the other side of the truth of that message. He was crying out to God on behalf of the unborn when God put this idea in his heart that he was going to have a son named Tim. And that's Tim Tebow. And Tim Tebow grows up to be a quarterback. And guess what? He preaches a message on Super Bowl Sunday that has stirred up all kinds of stuff. The message of life, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus and his followers is, always has been, and at some point will stop being under attack by Satan and his followers. So you just need to know that. Now, you don't go up to share Christ with someone and say, Hi, Trevor, my name's Dave, and I just want to tell you God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. And by the way, demons are going to come into your life and attack you till the day you die. <laughs> by the way, we have church in five minutes. You want to come? I mean, that may freak people out. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is this, though, is not coming up and giving the flowery speech. Think God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and that includes great retirement, tons and tons of golf, and whatever else might appeal to Trevor at that moment. And that's where we can kind of get into, you know, problems a little bit. How are we to respond to this? How are we to respond to this to this knowledge, this this message that says, "Man, you're under attack." 
I want to give you three don'ts that you can write these down. We'll, go, we'll cover these quickly and then we'll get to the rest of it. The first one is you don't ignore this. This isn't something that you just kind of ignore and say, you know what? That sounds super scary and it freaks me out to talk about anything spiritual, so I'm going to just ignore it. Some people have a tendency, I would say humans in general have a tendency to ignore or fear what they don't understand. Guess what? You won't understand this. This is in a realm that is, that is beyond all of us. You can study it a lot, you can pray a lot, and you will gain knowledge and experience and wisdom, but this is beyond us, right? We have some, some physical faculties that help us interpret life, and God's given us spiritual faculties in the same way. But he says, look, it's going to be dim right now. It's, not, it's going to be like a fog. I can kind of make out shapes and ideas and thoughts about how this works, but it scares me. Don't bury your head in the sand. Don't just kind of ignore this and say, well, I'm sure that, uh, that these thoughts I'm having uh, will just, you know, whatever. Maybe they'll, they'll go away. Don't ignore it. The second thing I think so many people do is they, is they fear this. They, they don't believe with all their heart. They'll quote this verse all, all the time. Greater is He who is in you, who is in me, the Spirit of Christ, the risen Spirit of Christ. Greater is He who is in me than the Spirit that's in the world. But then they'll go out and live a life that, that denies this truth. They, they stay kind of like that youth group scenario in, in, in the first story. They're kind of peeking out from behind a little glass door. And they're going, man, I don't even know who those people are. They're, they're probably out to, to harm me somehow. And what happens is all kinds of bizarre things happen with that. We can create kind of a circle to wagons effect. Churches do this all the time. A family can do this. An individual can do this. Where, where we've put up really nice, high, safe hedges so no one can get in to the church. And it's just a bizarre picture of, of what the church is all about. And so, uh, and so it, it can also cause this little Christian subculture to, to, to go on. I remember I would, I would talk to parents of kids in my youth group and I would challenge them to know what their kids are listening to in their music. In their, it wasn't iPods, it was probably Walkmans and record players. A hip holster for your record. Um, not that old. It was, uh, it was a tape player probably. Well, whatever. Uh, Boombox. Yeah. Bring your own cardboard, a little bit of breakdancing. Um, I would tell parents, you better know what your kids are listening to. Here's what they say, you know what, I got it at Berean. I go, you better know what your kids are listening to. It's Christian. You better know what your kids are listening to. Do you have any idea what these, you know, what these four cool-looking 20-year-olds stand for, talk about, sing about, what, what they drive you know, home as, as valuable? Who are you putting in front of your kids? I love talking to parents that, in my perception, have done amazingly well with their adult kids. They're, I mean, their kids are adult now. I go, tell me what you did. I, I, I want to rub shoulders with you. I want to be around you. You know what a lot of them say? You know what we did? We brought intentional role models into their life. We had them hang out with people we wanted them to one day be like. Man, that's great parenting. You just look at that and go, that just makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I want people further down the road in faith they can come in and say, man, this is what life's about. Be like me here. Don't fear it. Don't just, don't just label it Christian. They go to a Christian school. They're fine. They, go to, they, they, they buy everything from Berean. They're fine. They've been reading this book. They're fine. Baloney. You better check it out. 
You better come back to the standard and say, does this make sense? Some of it's great. And I love Christian literature and I love Christian music. And I believe in a lot of what Christian schools are about and are doing. But there's a fear component to that that can sometimes poison our mission. Here's the third one. Aren't we supposed to just turn the other cheek? Anything gladiator, anything battle, we're supposed to just turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus said, right? Context. Study the Bible. The physical enemies that we're talking about, we're to love them. We're to love them even when we're reviled and hated and spit upon. That's what Jesus did. But the spiritual enemies, if you turn the other cheek to them, that's not right. That's not what we're commanded to do. So, so know it. Don't just get in your head, well, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. I feel under attack right now. Dave mentioned something about spiritual attack. I think I'm supposed to turn the other cheek because I put those two together. That's not what the Bible teaches. That will not get you where you need to be. Here's the demand. I'll lay it out really simply. The demand is this. The demand of Jesus to his followers is to stand firm. To resist. To fight. Let me have you turn to James chapter 4 right now. And in James chapter 4, we're going to see uh, part of this. While you're turning there with your other hand, multitasking, I want you to write down 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 12. Here's what an older role model is saying to his young protege as he's about to depart this earth. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were, when, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I don't know specifically he's talking about baptism, but didn't you catch last week that we had, uh, we had some people making a good confession in the presence of many witnesses last week? And then the command is, Fight. Fight the good fight. Now, some of you are great at fighting. And it's the wrong fight. You're fighting for your namesake. You're fighting out of pride. You're fighting out of pent-up anger from something before. That's not the fight we're talking about. That's the old self we're to put to death. You're to fight the good fight. Figure out what that is. Figure out how to translate the movie Gladiator. And especially guys, when you see that, you're like, William! You know? Fight someone, you know? Figure out how to translate that into fighting the good fight. We're going to, in just a few moments, we're going to send out some warriors today. We're going to pray over a team of people that in, I don't know, a week and a half's time, God has raised up to go on a mission down to help out babies in Mexico, border town Mexico, that needs someone to fight for them. And you know what they're going to use? Hammers, nails, the Word of God, prayer, and as we'll look at shortly, the armor of God. That's their weapon. They're divine. Don't think of a hammer in that way. I'm talking about hammer to build a house. Okay? Not as a weapon. We're going to send out a little team of people. We're going to pray over them today and say, man, go and fight the good fight. We're called to fight. Look at James chapter 4 and specifically... I guess I better get there too, huh? Specifically, look at, uh, look at verse 7. Submit yourselves then. It says then because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit, by the way, is a military term. Submit says, you know what? I'm going to put myself under the authority of a commander. I am subordinate. 
I'm going to render obedience to this commander. Submit yourselves then to God. Here it is. Resist the devil and what? What does it say? He will flee from you. What's the condition? Resist him. What about turning the other cheek? What about welcoming in? What about dialoguing a little bit? No. You resist, he'll flee from you. What's the very next command? This is like a magnet command. You ever notice how a magnet has a positive draw and, a, and it repels on the other side? That's what this is. Here's the, here's the positive command of it. It says, come near. Or some of your translations say, draw near to God. And what will happen? He will come near to you. Draw near to God and He will come near to you. Resist the devil and He will flee from you. Next time you see a magnet, I want you to think. Draw near to God. That's the magnet coming to it. And if you're a kid and you're a smart aleck like I was, you take two magnets and you say, see? And you show that the two magnets can can be forced together and held together if they're small enough magnets, right? You've tried that. Come on. There's other smart alecks in here. I know that. But you, you, know, you say, see, I can do it. But the second you let go, boom, it's gone. It repels it. Take a magnet today. Show your kids. See how that just goes away? It resists it. That's, that's part of the new nature that we've been given. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. One more I want you to write down. And that's 1 Peter 5.8. It puts these together. In fact, just turn there. It's a couple pages to your right. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says... Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. There he puts resisting and standing firm right in the same thought. We were just at the zoo last week, and I was... Um, I would guess from here to Jonathan, raise your hand, Jonathan, to a male lion. And this thing was, uh, he was sizing up my 10-year-old son for lunch. I mean, he had this look, Vivian, it was like this. He just leveled this gaze at Ethan. And he's like, big old long time going, whoa, that's kind of weird, you know, break eye contact. Now, there was a massive glass wall between us, right? So that's why I was snapping pictures and, you know, feeling comfortable with it. But, but it didn't, it, it, I mean, it wasn't hard to just imagine seeing this thing face to face or spending a night out in Africa somewhere knowing this thing's making that sound. You ever been able to feed the lions in that big old pavilion? Man, that is an awesome sound. And to think... But that's the language it says there is an enemy. You don't think you're self-controlled and alert while out in the savannah somewhere? While out where these could be roaming around? Your kids are running around screaming and you know acting like lunch? But no. You're like, you get over here, you stay close where I can see you, and grow a little bit, would you? You look too easy to eat. Be self-controlled and alert. You're not bebopping through Africa when there's, when, there's, when there's lions around. Why? Because it's a war. Stand firm and resist. He puts those two thoughts together. Flip open the Bibles. We'll camp out the rest of the time here in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, Matt Nichols, where are you? Matt, come on up. Uh, I just asked Matt to come up here for a second. Um, 
Matt uh, just got a job a year ago, was it? Okay, with um, Santa Clara County Sheriff. And if he had his, his um, he, had, he had this sweatshirt on, which I thought was perfect. He didn't know he was doing this until about two hours ago. Um, but I've asked Matt to come up here because I, I just want you to just kind of get a, a visual on this a little bit. Um, really quick, what's the nature of your job? Just um, right now I work at the jail. Okay. So different things, prisoner control, transportation. Okay. Moving people around guarding. Yeah, so he was telling me, like, this is the downtown jail and... You know, this isn't a guy shoplifting probably, but, you know, there's some gnarly criminals down there that, that he is on guard to, 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 to guard against. Now, this is probably a lame scenario, and he's like, that's not how it happens, but just go with me on this. Pretend, Matt, we're downtown, and wasn't it the sixth floor that you were saying? That, is that, that's probably classified. I'm, like, blowing the whole... He's like, I'm never telling Dave anything again. So, some certain floor, the fourth floor... <laughs> If you want to bust your buddy out. Uh, the fourth floor is where, like I say, there are all these naughty criminals, whatever. He got posted to the fourth floor today, and he's been told, um, you know, don't let anyone get to the Garza family because the Garzas are, you know, key witnesses in a huge trial, whatever. Matt's on duty for that, okay? Get the scenario. Now, Matt, you're to guard those three, okay? So I want you to play along with me a little bit. I don't want you to hurt me. Um, but I, he could hurt me so bad. I want you to play along, okay? Um, you're, you're guarding these people, all right? Hey, how's it going? Good, cool. Um, hey, uh, hey. Whoa, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Let me clarify. Don't hurt the microphone. <laughs> why, why is your hand on me? What's your problem? I don't want to go over here. Why? Okay. Uh, listen, I just, I just want to talk a little bit. Okay, hey, it's cool, man. Hey, I just want to talk a little bit. Whoa, see? Hey, hey, I just want to talk a little bit. Listen, uh, right over here, uh, you can't even see it, but there's a dozen donuts right over here. Come on over. Hey, give it up for Matt. Give it up for Matt. <laughs> there's no donuts. Uh, you know what? Here, here's what I wanted you to catch with that. Um, Man, if that went three more seconds, he would have just had me in some sweet hole, I bet. Um, here, here, here's what I want you to notice about that. And, and visual, keep Matt in mind, okay, as, as we read this passage. And, and, and if you're like me, you may have been raised in church and, and you may um, you know, have seen the, the flannel graph of the armor of God. You know, and the, the breastplate of righteousness is always hanging half off or whatever. But, but what I want you to do, we're going to read this. This is called the armor of God. For those of you who didn't grow up in church and see that little diagram... We're going to read here, and what I want you to catch is, is something other than the armor of God here for, for, for just a moment. Verse 10 of chapter 6 is this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That's just, there's a lot right there that we're not going to talk about this morning. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of, the, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, and after you have done everything to stand. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth. And he goes on to list very many things. You know what I want you to catch there? How many times was the word stand said right there? Four times. I'll count it for you. Here's what I want you to catch. We're going to look at the armor of God, but think of the stance. 
Matt, when he's, when he's told to guard the Garza family, he's not in a recliner chair, right? Because the Christian life is a battleground. It's not a playground. He wasn't just kind of hanging out, hands in his pockets. He, he didn't just go join me for some donuts after a little while. Even though I'm sure it's like by law, you have to like donuts, I think. I mean, but but he, he was alert. He was self-controlled. He knew exactly why he was there. And you know what his stance was? I didn't take a charge at him, but I, but I promise you, if I took a charge at him, he would have just gone, whoa, what are you doing? He was ready for that. And that's what I have missed as I've, as I've looked at this and read this. I've, I've been so eager to jump to the armor of God because I just think it's great imagery that I've missed the stance of this. And four times it says, stand, 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 stand. Who watched short track speed skating last night? Don't you love that? I love short track speed skating. These are guys that everyone's right there. And I watched the finals of this. I want to tell you what happened in case you t-boat it. But these guys are ripping around this short track, right? And there's rules engaged with this. And there's all kinds of jostling going on. And I don't know. How, does anyone know how fast they're going? I don't even know. I, I didn't catch that last night. They're going really, really, really fast, okay? Um, and they're skating around this, this very short oval so that, so that much of the time they're on this crossover and they're just on, you know, on the edge of disaster at any moment. And they're skating around. And what's so fascinating to me is the amount of space that they have to pass one another. And in the course of a 12-lap race last night, I don't know how many passes there were, but it was incredible. You know what wasn't happening? There wasn't skaters going along, Apollo Ono, you know, massive headband, skating along. It wasn't like, oh, after you. Please, oh, by, oh, by all means. Because what would happen is, just like trying to get on a train in China, if you're polite, you end up just in the back and you don't ever get on. What these guys do is they stand their ground. They get into their line and they stay on their line. And as long as they're doing that, they're entitled to be there. Translate this to any sport you want. Taking a charging foul in basketball, if you like basketball. In athletics, in competition, there are enemies going head-to-head against each other. And the other thing I want you to catch is this. One time, did he take... He, actually, it wasn't even the, the initiative. He, he, was, he was keeping me back. But did you notice Matt wasn't coming after me? He wasn't coming and attacking me. Go and fight the enemy. Go out and, and just go... Some people get this really, really wrong. They go out and they get, they get you know really wacky in the head with this and they go out and, and pursue all kinds no, 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 stand your ground guard what's rightfully yours guard, guard, this, guard this, this ground that God has entrusted you and is giving you the word means maintaining our ground not yielding or fleeing and I think of it as kind of this, this post that the Christian soldier has I put in your notes this morning and this is true of every demand we've looked at by the way so far that if you search the scriptures you could find tons more uh, demands that kind of tie into to, to the, 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 the current demand, the way I've worded it. Okay? Here's, here's what I'm talking about. This demand uh, is, is related to Hebrews 10, have confidence in God. Another one, have no fellowship with darkness. Another one, give no place to Satan. Another one, put on the whole armor of God, which we'll look at in a second. And finally, be vigilant of the enemy. That's the one we just read. Be alert. I mean, that could be a standalone message right there, right? On just being alert and being attentive to things. I wonder if our prayer life will change as we, as we think through this series of demanding. It's been forcing me to change the language of how I've prayed in some ways. 
You guys remember Paul who prayed for a thorn in his flesh to depart from him. How many times? Three times. Probably wasn't just like five minutes. He did it three times and he stopped. This was a major ordeal. But, but as, I, as I got to thinking about this, and I, I got to thinking about a guy like Matt. You know how Matt, you know how Matt grows in getting really good at, at guarding key witnesses? It's not from a life of comfort. It's from a life of putting your body in crisis. And you get trained in any physical sport, any guard, any army person out there today is trained by what? By putting their body under uh, duress, Right? And, by, and, and, and your resistance grows. Your ability to stand firm grows as you get pummeled a couple times. And you learn, okay, that's not the way to do it. I'm going to try this again. He's coming at me. How do I do this? If you play hockey, you, know, you start learning about leverage and staying low on your skates and knowing how to take down much bigger people. But it's all kind of a process. And think about our spiritual life. I often pray for a comfortable life. What if God says, you know what, stop praying for a, for a thornless life. God, don't give me any thorns. Keep my kids free of all thorns. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to think about this. Anyone pray for perseverance this week? Anyone, anyone, anyone in their prayer time just say, God, I'm getting too, you know, kind of Northern California soft. Would you bring some storms in my life? I need I need trials. I mean, doesn't that sound foreign? God, my, my kids aren't really getting it. They're, they're thinking that this life is all there is. Would you bring trials into their life so that they can see the truth of the gospel and the power of the resurrected Christ? Would you do that? I trust you. I, I mean, I wouldn't even trust myself to bring trials into my life because I don't know the balance. But you do. Would you please bring trials into those that I love? Would you bring trials in their life so that they can see this? They have to get this before this life is done. You know when you start praying that way? When someone's on their deathbed, when it's already happening, and you go, whatever it takes, they, they have to see this. I can remember praying this for my mom one time when all was good in her life, and it felt so weird to pray this because it went against kind of everything I was, I was told outside of the Scriptures. But I said, God, her life is so comfortable. Whatever it takes, would you open my, my mom's eyes to the truth of the spiritual world and, and what you're saying to her? Please. The way that we develop a great stance, the way that we develop the ability to resist the devil is through trials and through conflict. Steve Camp, in a song called He Covers Me, says this, And though the trials never end... Man, I could get some amens on that this morning. And though the trials never end... He says this, I've learned to take them as my friends, for each day He covers me. Those of you who've walked with the Lord for any length of time will attest to this. It is in your darkest, most needy hours that God shows up in the most tangible, amazing ways. And you walk away from that going, man, I would never ask to go through that. But having gone through that, God, you drew near to me like I've never experienced in all my life. Thank you. And you know what? He does cover us. And that does carry us for next time. And that does build strength and resistance in us. Very quickly, I want to walk through. There's a chart. Some of you engineers are stoked this morning. There is a chart in the bulletin. We're going to try and get to all of these. Um, so let's move on. The question I'm going after is this. Stand firm against what? We're going to fight the good fight. What does it look like? Stand firm. Resist. 
What in practicality does that, does that really look like? Another way to ask it is this. How does the enemy attack? What are his schemes? What are the things that he comes after us with? And, and what I want to propose to you is this. By looking at the provisions that he's given to us, that shows you where the enemy attacks. So just by looking at the provisions, you say, okay, I must be attacked here. If, if someone hands Matt a, um, you know, a shin guard, like he has to wear shin guards to work every day, it might dawn on him. I don't think they wear shin guards, but it might dawn on him. You know what? I bet prisoners, when you're transporting them, try to do the old, like, bam, right below the knee and drive it down to the foot. So I guess I've got shin guards. I better kind of watch out for that. Does that make sense? As you're given tools to kind of defend and go into battle with, you think to yourself, man, maybe this is where the attacks are going to come from. And mind you, Paul, sitting in a Roman cell, watching fully armed guards roaming around, this is what he's, this is what he's looking at. This is what he's thinking about. Okay? So here's what he writes. Verse uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Um, and, and, and we'll just kind of go through this pretty quick. But verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So the first thing Satan is, there's a little column for Satan is, he's a liar. Satan is a liar. And so, and so you've been given the belt of truth. The reason you've been, giving the belt, been, been given the belt of truth is because you will be attacked on this point. Truth will be under attack. Period. And we could point to all kinds of examples of this, but let me just throw this out to you. Inside of your own head, internally even, have you ever had this place where, where loyalties, loyalties feel divided? Do, 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 I, do I go with God on this? Or do I go with this? I, I know it's true. I know it's this insidious nature. But I also know there's a short-term reward that's hard to, to battle against right now. Do I go with that? Or do I go with God? And you know what starts to rage right there? It's a battle of truth. And you're going to be lied to time and time again right there. That's the enemy coming, coming against you under attack. There are some of you probably, I would guess in a room this size, there are probably some of you that right now as I'm speaking... Something inside you is going, it's not true. That's just not true. Look at this and this and this. That's not true. And, and, and maybe 20 minutes ago, you started hearing something and, and, you're, and you're lost in that. You haven't heard a word that has, that's gone on since. That's the enemy. That's the battle that we're in. We're to put on the belt of truth. Listen to John 8.44. The little notes section. If you want to write these verses down, look them up later, you can. John 8.44 says this. Jesus talking. Uh, really challenging words to say to someone, but he was calling out the spiritual darkness of the battle going on right here, okay? He's talking to an actual person, but he's calling out spiritual darkness in this person. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That was Jesus talking to a group of leaders who were, who were trying to tell lies. And he was preaching boldly against that. Now, by contrast, you skip down a few verses to, uh, uh, to verse 51. He says this, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Contrast. Satan is a liar. That is one of the ways he will attack you. Here's the second one. You've been given the breastplate of righteousness. Can you help me out, Carl? It's not advancing. Thank you. <clears throat> You've been given the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what is that? It's, it's to battle against the accuser. 
to battle against the accuser. Now, this sometimes comes through other people. I had a friend who was a, a, a lifelong friend growing up. And when I, first, um, when I first began to grow in my walk with the Lord and really start to be bold with my faith, you know what this guy would say? He would sidle up next to me. And he had been raised in, in, in the church, and so he kind of knew the thing. He wasn't walking with the Lord. He'd sidle up and say, now, is that really what, what Jesus would do? Because I, I would have said something that was maybe a little off color or, or it, was, it was a little bit shady or whatever else. And I hated that. A, because I knew he was kind of right. But what it, what it was, God used that to kind of like, you know, develop me and say, actually, he's, he's totally right. He's speaking the truth. That got to a point, though, where, where other people would, would come in and, and by this point, this person wasn't in my life as much anymore. Not because of that. But other people will come in and they'll, and they'll accuse you of things. And they'll say things like this. Would, 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 would a good Christian really do that? I, is that really how, how you're supposed to act as, as, a, as a Jesus follower? I, I mean, what would Jesus really, really do here? Is that what it was? And, and then sometimes it's not from other people, it's from, from internal. And sometimes you lay your head on the pillow and, and you hear a voice saying, you know what? God, God doesn't love people who do that. You're this, X, Y, Z. And God can't possibly save that. And, and as you get accused, as you get accused by the enemy, here's, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to run back to the cross every single time. Go look up the lyrics to this song. Embracing Accusation by a band called Shane and Shane. Shane Bernard, I think, wrote it. Embracing Accusation. What he says in that song is basically this, that the devil will gladly preach the first part of the gospel to you every time. You deserve death. (laughs) you're, You're not who you say you are on the outside. You're this. You're that. And, and what he says with this song is you just go, yes, you're right. But you've forgotten the refrain of the song. Jesus saves. That's the good news. And so you don't try to run from that and hide from that and say, no, it's not true. La, 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 la. I'm not going to hear it. You say, I know. That's why the gospel's so powerful. That's why I know I can never do this on my own. Listen to Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourself, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. So it just keeps you back in line. Turn the accuser into saying, you're right, that's why the breastplate of righteousness. I know where my righteousness comes from. So bring on, bring on the accusation. I already know that about myself. Here's the third thing that the enemy is, is he's a destroyer. It says this in verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What's that talking about? The enemy has come to seek and kill and destroy those uh, life. John 10. And Jesus says, but I've come that you may have life. You may have it abundantly. Contrast, once again. The opposite of war is peace. And peace actually makes war on war, if you think about it. And the war I'm talking about is it's, it's this antidote to the brawling and the striving and the quarreling that we're all born with. 
It's this sin nature that says, I want what Michael has, and I can't get it, so I'm just going to go beat him down for it. Man, that person's got that gift that I, I so desire, and so I'm just going to, I'm going to tear him down behind his back. And the gospel of peace comes and says, I want to, I want to, I want to give you peace to this, to this war raging on in, in your sin-scarred soul. And that's what it is. Jesus says, I want to show you peace with God. There's a couple stages of sin, and I'm sure we could go into this some more, but think about this with me for a second. There's the fun stage of sin. If sin wasn't fun, no one would do it, right? Sin's a blast in some ways. So there's kind of this fun stage of it. But then what happens is you kind of do that, and what you end up knowing is that there's also kind of a, 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 a terrible side to sin. It's, it's waking up several hours later going, what, what have I done? What? Why didn't I see that before I made that decision? What was I thinking? But then you know what happens? There's, there's a third kind of denial phase of this. Because weekend after weekend after weekend after weekend, people fall into the same blinded cycle. Think about this. Relationship after relationship after relationship. The same sin cycle. It's fun and it's terrible. And here's what it is. It's a downward spiral. And it takes time. You kind of see this as a 13-year-old. You're like, yeah, maybe. 26, you're like, man, this is just still the fun. But I'm still, I, I know in my heart of hearts, there's a terrible side to this. By the time you're 40, it's just not that fun anymore. By the time you're 60 living this life, it's, it's utterly sad. Here's what I would challenge you with. Go spend time this week. Go spend time with people who have lived a sin-ravaged life. Whether they acknowledge it or not. You know what you will see? You will see a side to sin that, that, is, just, that is just ugly and, and, and grotesque. And, and, you, and you look at that and you say, man, I don't ever want to go there. Some of you have brought your kids along to homeless outreach kind of thing. Some of you have brought them to prison. And people sitting behind bars making terrible, terrible choices. Some of you may have counseled with people who have just been in tears because their life's a mess. It doesn't work. And you look at that and you say, man, that's, that's not what I, what I want. There's a song we sing that says that this gospel is what brings, I love this line, peace into our madness. Left to our own self, we generate, create madness. Number four is the enemy is a doubter. And this is where the shield of faith comes in. He's given us a shield of faith. Not so that when our doubts come, we embrace them, we have coffee with them, and all of that. Again, I don't want you to ignore your doubts. There are great answers for that. And God wants you to engage in that and pursue that and ask your questions. Don't ignore them. Don't fear them. Like, ooh, I don't think I'm supposed to have any doubts. That's part of this life, right? We know that without faith, it is impossible to please God. There's a way of coming with your doubts and saying, I doubt it, I doubt this, I doubt that. And there's other ways to say this, I doubt it. Give me. Give me the truth. I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's against what I've been taught. I don't care if it's going to make my life really, really hard. I want the truth. Give it to me. You see those two ways of, of, of approaching our doubts? The enemy's been doing this from the beginning. Did God really say, I mean, that's the snake in the garden. And he whispers that here. Did God really say that? You know the answer is yes. He has. 
and just stomp the head of that little snake. Yes, he has said it. It's right here. And, and, and so go after that. That's what the shield of faith is, 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 is all about. Faith is grown by knowledge and experience. Just write this down again. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 says this. Talk about church leadership and why church leadership is given. Here it is. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Catch this, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. If you are here being blown here and there, well, I heard this you know, book says this, and this new idea says that, and this teacher on this podcast says this. There's a great chance you're not spending enough time in the Word. And just going, I have to figure this out. God, what am I supposed to stand firm on? If your Word's a pillar that's going to be around for eternity, help me dive in and, and figure this out. Finally, discouragement. The enemy is a discourager. This is the helmet of salvation. Romans 12 says we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Remember that verse? Isn't the way that you think so important to how your day goes? Ah, I'm probably not going to win this speed skating event. That guy's got a tighter suit on than mine. Uh, you know, I mean, if you're standing at the start line, I, I mean, don't even waste space. Get off, take your skates off, you're done. It's over. So, so, some of you, I, I'm, I'm not this person, in case you can't tell, but uh, some of you, I have close, close friends who battle discouragement tremendously. It's been a massive part of their Christian story. And that's where I just say, man, you keep the helmet of salvation on. You guard that brain of yours. You guard that thought process of yours. The way thoughts come into you is through eye gates and ear gate. Guard what you're listening to on your commute. Nonsense to just bicker back and forth about sports. You know what translates to that sometimes? You find yourself just bickering back and forth with people about stupid stuff at the water cooler. You know why? Because you hang out with people. I mean, they're radio friends, which is creepy. You hang out with people who just bicker all the time. That's good for radio. It's good for TV. It's lousy for your family. Your boss hates it. It's really annoying. You, you, you just need to stop that. Guard your thinking. What are you pouring into your brain? When you start to feel attacked with that, guard it. I want to invite the band up and I want to invite the Mexico uh, team up right now. 